Hey there, and welcome to the podcast for Tuesday, March the 9th. Coming up, Joe Biden's dogs leaving the White House after a biting incident. Is there a lesson there for the average dog owner? Plus, we'll run down the latest COVID headlines. And why is there a trading card boom during the pandemic? All of that coming up right now on the pod. New consumer survey out from a stats can when it comes to uh, Canadians and cannabis. And when it comes to Canadians and cannabis, uh, what do you think has the effect been with the pandemic? How do you think the pandemic has affected our consumption of cannabis? If you're thinking uh, Canadians are trying it, using it uh, more often, well, you'd be absolutely right. Absolutely correct. As a matter of fact, this brand new survey from StatsCan is telling us that uh, roughly sales are up by a third. That's right, up by a third right now uh, when it comes to uh, cannabis sales and uh, consumption, which, of course, you know, we've talked about this time and uh, time again on the uh, program that uh, there's been a lot of problems uh, when it comes to retail outlets, getting a license, particularly uh, here in Ontario, and uh, whether or not, uh, you know, people would have access to uh, marijuana now that it's been uh, legalized. So that's been a, a bit of a problem. Also, a problem has been uh, questions over quality, the quality of the uh, seed in marijuana and whether or not it was uh, living up to uh, what maybe uh, you had uh, before or uh, previous. Because the other big takeaway from this uh, survey from a stats can, and maybe just maybe the biggest takeaway, is that legal sales, how about this, are now equaling sales on the black market, which I don't think uh, we anticipated happening this soon or maybe ever because obviously uh, all the talk uh, pre-legalization was that uh, well those that are using marijuana already have quote-unquote their guy uh, they've got a uh, supply uh, of it and just uh, how many Canadians are willing to uh, maybe pay a little more particularly when it comes to uh, the taxation of uh, marijuana and if the uh, quality is in uh, question it's going to be uh, awfully tough to repatriate them uh, if you will well apparently that has uh, now happened and uh, legal sales are equaling that of the black market and joining us now to uh, break this down a little further is our man on marijuana here's a uh, mitchell osak the ceo of quanta consulting mitchell joins joins us now here on global news radio 640 toronto mitchell how are you this afternoon i'm great how are you doing I'm okay, thank you. Uh, first of all, uh, tell us about uh, this uh, spike in sales, uh, according to a StatsCan. What exactly do we know is uh, driving this? Well, I'd like to say it's two major factors. One is the effects of COVID and how that's impacting people's uh, mental state, uh, You know, the amount of time they have sitting at home and not going into, into the office. That's one big factor. Another big factor is the, was the introduction, introduction of edibles, like cannabis beverages, chocolates, and gummies over the past 12 months, as well as the increase in retail expansion in Ontario. There's just more good product available in more legal stores right now. All right, because this is quite a spike, quite a jump, according to StatsCan. I mean, one-third of Canadians tried cannabis uh, during uh, COVID. I mean, is that over and above uh, estimates that uh, maybe uh, those in the market had? Absolutely. Um, I'll use a metaphor here. It's, it's sort of like a car that's traveling down the street at 40 kilometers an hour, and all of a sudden it accelerates up to 60 kilometers an hour. And what's most impressive about some of these Stats Canada numbers is that 
Typically, they're understated because not everybody reports their true behavior to the government. And number two is we're we're seeing increases in consumption across all segments, all ages within the Canadian population. Yeah. And when you sit back and think about it, should we be that surprised? Because we know things such as alcohol, alcohol consumption and sales has been up uh, during the uh, pandemic uh, due to things such as sadly like loneliness, boredom, stress. And uh, would it just follow suit that uh, maybe cannabis uh, would also uh, fall along those lines? Absolutely. And um, you're bang on. We see the same results in U.S. legal markets as well. And we see the same results among other kinds of, uh, I'll say, quote unquote, vice kinds of products whose consumption tends to go up during periods of mental and economic stress. And cannabis is, is proving to be no different than alcohol, than online gaming and a variety of other things. So does that mean maybe, Mitchell, the stigma that has surrounded cannabis and uh, marijuana, is it, uh, is it lessening? I, I absolutely believe it is. I mean, at the height of uh, when legalization happened in October of 2018, anywhere from, let's say, 20 to 33 percent of Canadians were absolutely against the legalization of adult use cannabis. What we're seeing is, is that the world did not come to an end. A lot of the health you know, concerns that were raised by some of the early advocates didn't come to pass. And Canadians are growing up and beginning to realize they can consume these products in a safe and responsible manner. All right. And our sales, are they signifying that as well? Because again, uh, another big, maybe the biggest takeaway from this is that legal sales are now equal to those on the black market? Uh, maybe. That's a point of contention among a lot of people in the industry uh, for the fundamental reason of we don't know how big the black market really is. So it's really hard to say whether um, we're actually significantly eating into the size of that market. What we do know is that legal, legal Canadian sales in 2020 were up 120 percent over 2019, uh, which is well over a billion dollars, and they're on track to go up roughly another 100% in 2021. So it's not like so many Canadians have decided to jump on the bandwagon and start to consume cannabis. So clearly a lot of that consumption is coming from black market users. The question is how much? I would say it's significant, but I still think uh, the government as well as licensed producers have a ways to go before they significantly eat into the black market market. Yeah, but Mitchell, that's incredible. 100% boost in sales last year and another 100% expected this year. I mean, comparable. Is there any other industry that, that's growing like that? Not that I'm aware of. And, and if, you, if you go back in history, you'll only see a couple of ones that come close. Tech might be one of those. You know, Bitcoin could be one, gambling and so on. But Really, what's driving a lot of the increase in legal sales is stuff that's happening in our backyard in Ontario. And what we're seeing is a dramatic increase in the number of stores and legal stores. And to give you a sense of how big that's going to be, by the end of March, we should have close to 600 open legal cannabis stores. By the end of 2021, if the AGCO approves the number of stores they say they will, we'll have close to 1,350 stores. So if Ontario represents 40% of the country, um, it's not surprising to see us add another billion and billion and a half dollars to the, the size of the legal Canadian market. Okay. Are we getting to the point of saturation when it comes to the number of stores? Well, it's interesting you say that because um, I think the, the short answer is yes in some areas. 
I live in North Toronto, and I could tell you there are five cannabis stores between on Avenue Road between Eglinton and Wilson. Five of them, and that's a pretty middle class, um, older neighborhood. You look at neighborhoods like Trinity Bellwoods and so on. You might have five cannabis stores within a kilometer of each other. So in some markets, you absolutely have saturation. In other markets, like York Region, with the exception, I believe, of Aurora, you can't find a legal cannabis store. So what we're, gonna, what we're finding in Ontario is in some pockets have a lot of stores, and other pockets have very few stores, if any. All right. At the end of the day, great news for the government, though, particularly governments that have been uh, spending uh, during the uh, pandemic. I mean, this is all just money in government coffers, uh, right? Uh, when legal sales are approaching that or equal to black market sales. Uh, yes and no. Yes, that um, a lot of revenue is coming in. But the government invested a lot of money in building up its cannabis regulatory framework, as well as all of the provincial wholesalers. The reality is, is the amount of tax that will be generated here will be far less than what is needed to help us overcome the pandemic and all the CERB spending and so on. But heck, if it'll help the local communities and it'll help with compliance and it'll help with health care, I'm all for it. But it's not going to be the panacea for government financing. All right, Mitchell, got to leave it there. Appreciate the time as always. Thanks so much. Thank you. All the best. Be well. You as well. Mitchell Osak, the CEO of Quanta Consulting. All right, Washington, it's a city known for its biting attacks, mostly between Democrats and Republicans. However, it's another form of biting behavior that's making some news this afternoon, as President Biden's dogs have been sent back to Delaware after a what's being called an aggressive incident Here's our pal Cliff the Vet. Dr. Cliff Redford joins us here on Global News Radio 640 Toronto. Cliff, good afternoon. Hey, it sounds like uh, Washington is going to the dogs after that lead-in. Yes, uh, thank you. That was the only one we didn't use in the intro. (laughs) All right, uh, what do we know about the uh, behavior, uh, Cliff, of uh, Major Biden? Uh, So it sounds like Major, who was adopted about a year and a half ago and is now three years old, and he's a German Shepherd dog, and and they are kind of known for being easily agitated, especially when they move around like he's probably had to do the last 18 months. Uh, You know, the reports are saying that he's had some multiple occasions of jumping up on people, barking, charging at staff and security. And uh, I guess uh, a few days ago, he apparently bit somebody uh, at the White House. All right. And is there usually a reason why a dog bites? I mean, some dogs, I guess, maybe are just naturally uh, aggressive or biters. But generally, is there a a reason for for a dog in this sort of, uh, quote unquote, aggressive behavior or biting somebody? There's always a reason. And whether or not uh, sort of the average person can figure it out is, is a different question. I'm going to say 99% of the time, though, the reason and and the fault lies with the people that are around the dog, because it does sound like in uh, Major's case, he's been giving them warnings over and over and over again that he's not happy with his life and probably needed a little bit more attention from his family. Um, You know, I I love the fact that the Biden family went out and rescued a dog, but I I don't think uh, a year before he became the you know, the busiest person on the planet, potentially, I don't think being a president is a nine to five job. It's probably a five to nine job. I don't really think they should have uh, uh, adopted a dog a year before going into a life like this. 
Well, that's what occurred to me when I saw this story uh, this morning and why we reached out to you, Dr. Cliff, is because it seems to me much like people, dogs, animals are, are very similar when it comes to change and moving. And uh, sometimes, uh, you know, a move doesn't necessarily uh, agree either with a person or a dog. Yeah, no, it's definitely a, a source of stress. And I'm sure the, the family, the Biden family has been through a lot of stress the last uh, 18 months. I, I know we're stressed out just listening to uh, the bickering that's been going on in Washington. Um, and, you know, for with dogs, when you when you move um, and you sort of uproot them, or if you get a major job change, and let's talk about people going back to work as, uh, as our pandemic is slowly uh, putting us back to normal, hopefully, sure. there are issues with stress and separation anxiety and move anxiety in dogs. And it's something that needs to be spoken to with a behaviorist or spoken about with a behaviorist or your your veterinarian and sort of nipping it in the bud, pardon the pun again, nipping it in the bud um, prior to a situation like this happening. Because now Major is, he's in an elevated level of stress all the time. It's going to take them a lot more work to get him happier and calmer when he's already past the point of biting somebody. All right. And you mentioned a second ago, Cliff, that there were sort of, I guess, signals to this, uh, you know, that Major was trying to, uh, I guess, tell everybody around him that, uh, you know, I don't know if he was feeling uh, anxious, anxiety, uh, was nervous, just feeling uh, out of place. But uh, dogs typically will show you that in uh, one form or another. Yeah. And, 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 and he was doing it. There was there was excessive barking. There was uh, agitation with new people coming to the White House or probably also their home in Delaware. And he was charging at people. So he was he was telling everybody he's not happy and he was doing his job. German Shepherds, amazing dogs, beautiful, intelligent, and they're protective. They're protective of their family and they're protective of their property and their home. And so he was he was probably not happy with reporters coming in and politicians coming in and aides and assistants and security and just all this back and forth. So he kept showing that he wasn't happy. And I would wonder if there were appetite changes and changes with other sort of learned behaviors. Uh, Mrs. Biden talked about how uh, they were, the only rule was the dogs couldn't get up on the couch and he was found up on the couch. So he was trying to show that he was not happy and needed more attention and 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 again, you know, it 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 was a photo op. I think that the reason they they got him a year before he became president, before Biden became president, and and unfortunately, uh, Major is now uh, going to be forever displeased with his uh, with his life. So they got a lot of work to do with him. Well, we hear that he has uh, been moved back or is moving back to uh, Delaware. So should that uh, relieve the situation? Do you think that he's back uh, in a territory or a home that he's very familiar with? It's definitely going to help. And I think, look, let's be honest, though, he's not going to be cared for by the Biden family. He's going to be cared for by whoever, I guess, almost like a dog nanny. Someone else is going to be caring for him. And as long as he gets the attention from his sort of new owner, um, you know, he's probably going to show some major improvements. But they may need to speak to their veterinarian about a little bit of medication to calm down his nerves and certainly some some desensitization training to get him feeling uh feeling happy again about his 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 new surroundings 
All right. Now, for those that don't have that luxury of being able to move their dog back to an area or home that they're familiar with, how would you suggest, Cliff, that they deal with a move in a pet that maybe is not taking to it so well? Yeah, the biggest thing is um, keep your schedule in the new home similar to what it was in the old home. And I think that's one of the big problems here with with Major and, and President Biden is his schedule change. So, you know, if you're if you're getting home at, at 6 p.m., hopefully you're getting home at the same time. Um, make sure your dog gets the same amount of exercise. Maybe find a friendly neighborhood dog walker to take your uh, dog out. Exercise really calms anxiety in dogs just like it does in people. Um, and the biggest thing is talk to your veterinarian and or your dog trainer and behaviorist well before the move, and they can kind of set you up on steps to prepare your animal for the uh, for the big exciting change. All right. And those that have dogs, do you anticipate in the uh, coming months? Because you're absolutely right. People are uh, returning to work, sometimes uh, back in the office, no longer working from home. And just as you and I talked about at the beginning of this pandemic, how much of a change this was for uh, pets mm-hmm. to see, you know, uh, people in the house all day long. Now, all of a sudden, it looks like the schedule is going to revert back for a lot of people. Yeah, there there potentially is going to be an issue, especially with older dogs and especially with sort of newly adopted or newly owned dogs, which everyone's been getting new dogs recently. Um, and what you're going to need to do is once you sort of get that email from your work that you're going to be going back to some sort of in the office hours, you want to start slowly almost weaning your pet back onto those hours. Um, take them out for walks in the morning if that's what going to end up happening if you can't do lunchtime walks anymore spend some time away from the house and slowly you know spend time away from your pet and then if you start to see signs of anxiety or separation problems speak to your veterinarian and there's some great uh, there's some great tips they can give you specific to your pet all right cliff the vet cliff great stuff as always thanks so much for the time this afternoon have a great one stay safe you as well as we mentioned off the top this afternoon, caseload here in Ontario, 1,200 today, 1,200 new COVID cases reported, and that has some medical experts saying that the third wave is actually here. Here's infectious diseases expert, Dr. Suman Chakrabati. He joins us now here on Global News Radio. Dr. Chakrabati, good afternoon. Great to be here again. Thanks for having me. Appreciate you being here. Uh, uptick in the numbers, as I mentioned, and the seven-day average as well. So uh, what's your take here in Ontario? Are we uh, in the third wave, do you think? We, we could be. And I think that uh, just one thing to remember is that uh, obviously we want to see the trend, uh, what, what happens. Um, it's, it's possible this is just a new baseline. But, of course, the background possibility, we have to be careful and watch this closely. I think another thing we have to remember is that uh, I was saying this before last time you and I were talking where the reliance on the case count is going to get less and less with time because let's say if we do have a number of cases that are new, but if uh, proportionally many less of those people are going to get hospitalized, it doesn't, it, it's not as important. And one thing that we do know is we've covered long-term care, so that's going to be a significant decrease in the potential hospitalizations here. So, you know, I, I still think we need to be careful. We need to watch this closely, but it's not necessarily a massive third wave yet. Okay, where do you think we're going in the next couple of months, or is it kind of in the air? Because I'm wondering here in Toronto, obviously, we've gone to gray, so non-essential businesses in some cases have been able to reopen now. Uh, The stay-at-home order, that has been lifted. But on the other hand, we've now got four vaccines, as we've talked about. And, of course, we're uh, starting to get towards spring and some uh, nicer weather. Yeah, and these things are all important. When you look at viral transmission... 
yes, the virus itself is something that is, is a big part of the equation. But other things matter, too. We have vaccines rolling out. We know that as people start to go outside, uh, when the weather gets better, this is all going to work towards decreasing transmission. And, you know, I think that I, and I can't uh, really... Uh, uh, this enough that it's really important for us to look at other metrics aside from just case numbers at this point. And one of the things that I'm really looking at are hospitalizations. Those things, it'll start to drop. We'll see in the next uh, several weeks to months as the vaccinations roll up. And I think that all of this is pointing towards things looking a lot better for the end of the spring. And the summertime is going to be a, a, a much, much better than it was last year. Those are welcomed, welcome words, without a doubt. Okay, we have four vaccines available now, and there is some concern, Dr. Chakrabarti, that some Canadians might start kind of shopping around for a vaccine with a uh, higher efficacy rate. Uh, could that happen, and why would that be a concern? Certainly, and I think part of this is that we have to be careful about the way that we're messaging about the vaccines. And, that, you know, the vaccines right now, absolutely, there's four different ones. They have a certain different properties. But what do we, what's our main goal right now? Our main goal right now is to get out of this pandemic, and our main goal is to take um, pressure off of our healthcare systems. All four of these vaccines, and the fifth one, too, Novavax, hopefully will come at some point soon, too, they are very, very, very effective at preventing death and hospitalization. Any of these will do that, and I think it's important for us, if you get a chance to get a vaccine when it's your turn, get the one that's offered to you. They all do this very well. Down the lines, there might be some customization once they're, you know, uh, the pandemic's over and we have, we're giving boosters and things. But right now, what we need to do is cut transmission chains, and the best way to do that is to get vaccinated. And, you know, that's going to be happening in a big way over the next several months. Having said that, though, Pfizer and Moderna, their uh, efficacy rate is around 95%, yet AstraZeneca and the newly greenlit Johnson & Johnson, they've got an efficacy rate around kind of the mid-60s, like 65 67%. Uh, so what would you say to uh, Canadians who want to hold out for either Pfizer or Moderna? Well, one thing I will say is that we have to be careful about uh, um, comparing apples and oranges here. That These trials were done at different times. Uh, in different places, for example, Johnson Johnson uh, was done at a time when there was much more COVID around, a much more density of COVID. Uh, it was done in an area where there was more variants. All these things are important, so the conditions were different. But if we put them on a level playing field and look at the two most important metrics aside from transmission, that's death and hospitalization, all four of these vaccines that we have uh, that are approved right now are almost 100% effective at preventing death and hospitalization. That is so important. That's why if we look at what's important right now, each of the vaccines does it. Get whichever one you can. And just finally, a doctor, I wanted to ask you about the announcement in the States late yesterday. The CDC there, the Center for Disease Control, says that vaccinated, fully vaccinated Americans can begin to gather indoors and without masks. And that's got a lot of people here on this side of the border wondering, when is our turn? Yeah, I agree. I think that one thing that's really important is what's the point of getting vaccinated if things aren't going to change? And I think that we should start to be transitioning our messaging or at least talking about it. Uh, that, look, when you get vaccinated, I agree that we shouldn't be throwing off our masks and having, you know, big concerts right now. But I think that we also have to give some concessions to people. This has been a long pandemic. People are tired. People haven't seen their loved ones. And we have to do what we can to give safe ways of doing things. And I think the CDC has been doing that. And in fact, I think they're going to be doing some more of this. And we need to give people hope 
that's around the corner for us too. And I think it's important for us to realize that once you have been vaccinated and you're in a room full of vaccinated people, it's a lot safer than it was a couple of months ago when there was no vaccine around. Do we have to get to some sort of herd immunity? Does there have to be a certain percentage of the populace uh, vaccinated before we can really look at that though? Uh, Possibly, but the thing is, at the same time, there's going to be a transition period where there are some people vaccinated, others aren't. And you can't just expect that completely freeze what's happening in society um, as we get there. We also have to remember that once we start to get to a point where hospitalizations are dropping like a stone, like we're seeing in places like the UK, then all of a sudden we have a lot more leeway. Even if we do have cases in the community, if the people aren't being hospitalized, that's a huge bonus for us, and we can lift a lot of these restrictions. So I think it's important for us to look at more than just the case number, it's going to start to get better and better as the, as the weather gets better as well. We're in a good position. We're not out of the woods yet, but we're in a very good position. I think it's important to uh, convey that to, to everybody as, as we uh, go in the next couple of weeks. All right, Dr. Suman Chakrabati. Dr. Appreciate it as always. Thanks so much. Thanks for having me. Take care. You as well. Well, the pandemic, it has changed so much when it comes to our lives. But maybe one thing many of us or most of us didn't see, an explosion in trading cards. That's right, trading cards have taken off. And joining us now is Mike Bergman. He's the owner of Lower Level Sports Cards and Collectibles. And Mike joins us here on Global News Radio 640 Toronto. Mike, how are you this afternoon? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. Looking forward to tonight. Uh, Jets and uh, Maple Leafs, eh? Oh, that's right. Because, uh, by the way, you're speaking to us from Winnipeg, right? That's right. All right. So uh, you got the Jets, I take it? Oh, yeah. Okay. They're they're our team, right? Uh, They're going to the Cup every year just like Toronto is, right? Right. But this is our year, Mike. This is our year. Yeah, yeah. I I like hearing that since 1967, right? Yeah. Ouch. Okay. It's all good. It's all good. We haven't won either in Winnipeg, so... We're in the same boat, right? Listen, uh, Mike, it was a pleasure having you on the show. Thanks for the time. No. Uh, (laughs) All right. Just how much has trading cards boomed in the last year, Mike? Uh, How much has it taken off? It has taken off drastically um, everywhere. It's it's, it's a worldwide phenom. Um, Obviously, um, just because of travel and this lack of travel, uh, we in Winnipeg or even in Canada, we can't see it as much. and there too, it, it's something that's that exploded now, but it's been percolating for years, um, and and now it's just because of people having or did have more time at the beginning of the pandemic that it just became a perfect storm for even more people to get into it. Um, okay, so and, people and, had some yeah. time on their hands, but why did they gravitate? Do you think to to trading cards? What is the allure? Um. It's well. It's the images. It's the like there was basically everything stopped. It's like what do we do now? And a lot of people, at least in Winnipeg, they started cleaning their homes and they started finding their their cards from ten, twenty, thirty, fifty years ago, and looking through it, it's like oh. I remember these cards, but the, the cool thing about cards is it's the memories, not of only the cards, but the people that you've collected with and the memories of getting those cards. And I think that, that those good memories that people have, it's like I've, I've seen a lot of things in my house that I look at and it's like, oh, this is, this is cool. And then you just put it down and you, you wander off to something else. With cards, it, it's a connection to a time in history and also good memories with those that you've collected with. Um, and I think that that is why people, when they pick them up again, it's like, oh, I remember that. I want to complete this set or, I re- or whatever. Let's say they collected Michael Jordan in 
the early 90s. And now, while well, Jordan was in the news in, in March and April with the Last Dance uh, documentary about him and the Bulls, yeah. um, that brought more people like, oh, that, 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 it's like, I want to get my cards out. I want to see or Michael Jordan, John Pax, and Horace Grant cards. And then it's like, I wonder if people still make cards. And then they get into It's like, oh, there's still cards out there. And then across North America, a lot of hobby shop owners were scared when in March things had to shut down. And it's like, will we even be in business in a month? And then it just, whatever, calls just kept coming in and people just rediscovered it. I think it's just the cleaning aspect. That's one part. Um, but I think what you're hitting on there, Mike, is the nostalgia. And I wish, yeah. I mean, I'm like so many people, my mom threw out my trading cards, my hockey cards years and years and years ago. I wish I still had them because I can see just how many people would have opened up that box during the pandemic and what that does is it takes you back to a simpler time when you were a kid. It really does transport yeah. you. Yeah. And, and, and for me too, like, uh, I still, people always ask me, what's your most valuable card? And, and for me, it's not the, mo- the money that, uh, is my favorite card. It's, it's my first card I ever had. And it, it was a 1981 OPT card, uh, penalty minute leaders, uh, uh penalty minute leaders, uh, Jimmy Mann, Paul Holmgren and, uh, Tiger Williams. I was going to say Tiger Williams. I'm glad you had a yeah. leaf in there. See, huh? Yeah. Yeah. We've, uh, yeah, we, we cover all the bases, you know? So, but no, it's uh, that to me, it's not about the money. It's, it's just the sentiment. I remember my friend giving me that card uh, on his doorstep as he opened packs. And that, that brought about now having millions of cards in, in, in my store, helping many other people discover and rediscover um, the great hobby of sports card collecting. All right. Having said that, though, is it right now, Mike, is it a seller's market because interest has exploded during the uh, pandemic? If you've been sitting on a bunch of cards, you've rediscovered them and maybe a few of them are worth a few dollars. Is now the time to sell if you wanted to? I, the, the big, there was another boom, a big boom in the 90s. And the big difference between that boom and this boom is it's not every card now that is worth um, a ton of money. Um, it, it's in the 90s, people wanted just to collect sets, not just necessarily one individual player. Now, um, let's say you bring in a collection to a card shop and it's a thousand cards. Most likely of those thousand cards, there might be one or two cards that everybody is after. Um, and there too, why are people after those cards? A lot of it does not make sense. And some of the values that are going with these cards uh, a friend of mine just sold a, b- a few cards for me uh, on eBay. On they ended on Sunday night, and they went for six times the amount that we, or sorry, three times the amount that we had them priced at, and you could have bought them in the store for. Um, we don't, we don't know. We kept saying it's it's crazy what people are doing or buying. Like we, I, it's very hard to. Like you would have to basically stop. I would have to stop doing my card shop and just research why this is all happening because in some cases it's not making sense um and yet i just the thing that's cool and that does make sense is that when people get into the hobby it's a lot of fun and the more people that you involve and obviously you can't be around crowds of people right now but even with your family it's just a blast opening packs or going through cards with family or whoever you're sure. living with. Let you me know? ask you before we run out of time. It's been yeah. some time since I bought a pack of trading cards, hockey cards, whatever. Uh, has the gum gotten any better? Is there still gum that comes with them? 
Uh, unfortunately not. So you have to go back to the 90s and eat some of that gum. And, and uh, yeah, it can taste like cardboard. Yes. <laughs> it's probably actually fresher. <laughs> it, it, it's not too bad. It just melts in your mouth, right? Uh, it's sugar. So. Hey, Mike, really appreciate the conversation. Uh, good luck to your Jets tonight. All right. Thanks for uh, in, involving me in this uh, radio. Thank you. All right. Mike Bergman is the owner of Lower Level Sports Cards and Collectibles.